Welcome to this special series of Research in Action, where we talk about the outlook for the major economic sectors and investment implications for 2024. We're your hosts, Carolyn Bigda. I'm Matt Perone, Director of Research. And in this episode, we're joined by Denny Fish and John Kofsky. Both are portfolio managers and co-leads on the Denver-based sector team here. And today they're going to talk about AI and all the other things that investors should be paying attention to in the tech sector for 2024. So Denny and John, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Happy to be here. So we wanted to start out with the the big story of 2023, which was AI. That technology basically hit an inflection point where the world sort of stood up and took notice and said, okay, there's something pretty unique here, um, something that's a little bit game-changing. And I was wondering, for 2024, is the momentum around AI expected to continue? And what does that mean for the tech stocks that have benefited quite a bit from this new trend or this new technology? Yeah, absolutely. I think you characterized it the right way, that the world woke up. To, to AI. You know, it's something that we've been researching for several years. It's been one of our mega themes. And while it was a mega theme behind the scenes, there wasn't that moment until ChatGPT hit. And then the world actually saw in a very practical way what was possible. And then we've seen multiple iterations of that product, competitors, you know, from, from Google and Anthropic and others. And Google just launched Gemini, which is a multimodal. Uh, AI engine as well. And so it's a long, long way of saying that it's very, very real. There's an old adage in technology that we always overestimate what's going to happen in a year and yeah. we underestimate what's going to happen in a decade. And I feel like that's what 24 is, is, is what we're set up for because there's so much excitement around the promise of AI. Now we have to start delivering on that promise. And you've seen all of the hyperscalers invest massively in capital expenditures to support AI, the training of the models. And now we have to actually see the use cases come through, the monetization, the real world buildup of the financial models of these companies. And this is where we'll start to separate not the rising tide lifts all boats because there's an AI halo, but the companies that are truly benefiting from AI. Right, because in 2023, investors got really excited about the potential, and we saw that reflected in technology stocks, Yes, in a lot of technology stocks. Now it's sort of, we have to see, to come to fruition, correct? We need to see the actual application of that promise at this point. Yeah, and and it's going to touch every sector of technology, and it's going to touch every sector of the economy. And that's what's important. And it won't be as obvious, you know, for all the other sectors of the economy, but there's going to be a lot going on under the surface as it relates to AI and how companies are broadly deploying it. So zooming out to the tech sector um, in general, you know, rates became an issue, especially in 2022, and put pressure on valuations. And that's, you know, really become a key issue that tech investors had to grapple with. Now that we're sort of through a lot of that, where are we settling out? How are you guys thinking about the rate impact on the sector? The 2020, the 2022 time period was so unusual with rates at zero and then inflation and rates rising more rapidly than they have in decades that we're trying to go back to, say, the 2015 to 2019 period where we had a more, quote unquote, normal rate and inflation environment But importantly, throughout the whole time period, our focus on fundamentals and unit economics and free cash flow haven't changed. And we don't predict interest rates, but our 
focus on fundamentals and unit economics and what are the growth areas of the economy that are exposed to trends like cloud and AI, that won't change. What may also be helpful for tech if you think rates are potentially stabilizing or going down, especially as inflation goes down and the economy cools, growth becomes more scarce. And where is there the most growth in the economy? It's It's in tech. So tech could actually benefit in an environment like that. And if I could add one other thing, too, as it relates to rates, one thing that we never did as a team was start moving our discount rate all over the place. We actually stayed pretty consistent with our di- discount rate throughout this time period, and I think that was helpful in terms of managing our valuation discipline. Yeah, I mean, that's a key point, isn't it, is the fact that your long-term rate, we're really back to where we were, and the long-term rate impact you know, is generally you know, just through the cycle is not, not changed. Yep, no, exactly. Okay, so let's take that and maybe talk about potential areas of tech that have flown under the radar, where maybe the market is is overlooking it because of you know the excitement around AI, worries about interest rates. Uh, is are there any areas of tech that you know sort of have gone under the radar? I don't know if areas of tech have necessarily gone under the radar. I think the ones that have gone under the radar have gone under the radar, you know, for the wrong reasons. <laughs> okay, but I I think. An area of the market, despite the stock performance over the last year, that is still fundamentally underappreciated is semiconductors and semiconductor capital equipment. In my opinion, it is the most important industry to global economic growth. It's more important than anything else. We cannot advance society without semiconductors and semiconductor capital equipment. And it's a very rationalized industry as you start looking across it with secular growth, that is about, you know, one and a half to two times GDP growth, margins that are much higher than the average company in the S&P 500, and great capital allocators. And the kicker is that every continent in the world and many countries want their own sovereign footprint for semiconductor development, whether it's China, whether it's Europe, whether it's Japan, India, the United States, as we've seen with the CHIPS Act. And this this is a 20-year journey that we're just starting right now. That semi-cap equipment is oligopolistic, is it not? So to your point about being rational, it's something where there are a few innovators in that space. Is, it, is that Absolutely. It, it's really interesting because you know, there are many companies that actually participate in the semiconductor capital equipment supply chain, but there are really five companies that dominate the space. And it's interesting because one is a natural monopoly, ASML, with what's called EUV lithography. Nobody else on the planet does it. Okay, it's rare you find a monopoly just like that. And then the other four are actually what we call narrow monopolies. Like if you were doing a Venn diagram, they all kind of compete with each other. But for the most part, they run in like pretty, pretty healthy swim lanes where they don't face a lot of competition. And so to your point, you have these oligopolies within these swim lanes. And then there are also other areas too, uh, EDA software, Mm -hmm. okay? That's a duopoly. And then the important thing about the semiconductor industry itself is that it went through so much consolidation over a 20-year period that the end markets for semiconductor capital equipment are also highly rationalized as well. So you've seen much better pricing power, less pronounced inventory cycles, and just just all around more efficient industry structure with these natural secular tailwinds that allows it to grow faster than the global economy. And you also have analog chips and some of these, you know, two or five dollar parts that make 
your EV or your factory automation system work, and they've been hurt more by the economy and maybe they're not as direct a beneficiary from AI, but they are a beneficiary. Mm -hmm. And something like electronic vehicles or electric vehicles that are going to be a 10, 15, 20-year trend, and we're still very early in the U.S., the semi-content in those vehicles are significantly higher. Back to Carolyn's question, that's some under-the-radar stuff. I mean, you don't hear too much about EUV or, or EDA or things like that, but yet, you know, your team has really been on these as secular growers that, you know, have a, just a long runway in front of them. And, you know, it's also a sector where the stock prices tend to be a bit more volatile than the actual underlying resilience of the business. And that's what's great. It gives us opportunities to, you know, pick pick away at things when the market gives us that chance, too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you hear about it in, in the newspaper so much because lithography is not exactly something that you know, <laughs> gets gets the headlines. No, totally. But you know what? It is, I mean, it is like rocket science. I was just over in the Netherlands at ASML a couple weeks ago, and you go over there and you're just reminded of yeah. how hard this is. I mean, these machines, just to put it into context for people, when TSMC buy or Intel buys an EUV machine from ASML, it takes one or two triple seven jets to mm -hmm. get all of the parts for the EUV machine over to Taiwan or the United States to be reassembled. And, and isn't it a few hundred thousand parts? Yes. Yeah, to yes. make it. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. But yeah. to your point earlier, I think, you know, what is in the headlines is the volatility around semiconductor stocks, and that might turn off some investors. And so do you see that smoothing out over time with the rationalization with the long-term secular trends, or do you think it's still an area of the sector that could be a little bit more volatile from an investing perspective? Well, it's always a tough question to answer. <clears throat> I do think, if anything, what COVID awoke the world to was the importance of semiconductors. There was almost a two-year period, you couldn't get a car. You couldn't get a washing machine, right? I mean, it's like, and it could have been because of a CPU or a GPU, or it could have been an 80-cent part from, from Texas Instruments that was just managing voltage or something else. Like, I mean, who, who, who knows? But, but that in itself, like every industrial analyst on the planet's like, wow, all my companies are talking about they can't ship product because they can't get semiconductors. You know, every auto manufacturer, like everything. And so I think that woke up the world. And so... I think there's the possibility that you end up with structurally higher multiples and maybe less volatility and, and more confidence to look through to the other side because of the durability, you know, of the, of the industry structure. But, you know, the reality is we'll see, you know, the <laughs> stock market kind of overrates things on the upside a lot and they overrate things on the downside a lot. And so we have to be really conscious of that, too. And I think it's fair to say that semi-cap equipment is less volatile because of its sort of long sales cycle and all that than the semiconductors themselves. Yeah, and so in, in some areas and in some areas not so. It, it, mm -hmm. it, it just depends. But I always ask people this question, and, you know, this is it's just a rough ballpark. But, uh, you know, if, if I asked the average investor what's been a better stock over the last 10 years, a basket of those five semiconductor capital equipment companies and the EDA companies or – Alphabet. And almost invariably, everyone's like, well, it's got to be Alphabet. No, it's not. Mm. <laughs> okay. You know, there's some of the best software companies benefiting from cloud, internet companies, and those businesses, even if the stocks can, you know, sometimes be volatile, those businesses are highly, tend to be highly recurring. 
So that provides a little bit of an offset to, you know, semiconductors, which are a cyclical growth industry, but still cyclical. So you provided the perfect segue to my last and final question, which is just looking at some maybe some other long-term themes in the tech sector, things like cloud computing, 5G, where are those now sort of in their um, evolution and what milestones might they be hitting in 2024 that could be important for the sector? It's interesting because we've been talking about cloud and even mobile for, you know, basically a decade or a bit more than a decade now. But if you look at, you know, the amount of IT spend or workloads it's still under 50% in aggregate in the cloud. So we think there's still many more years of, of good growth from cloud, which is, is hard to fathom given we've been in this growth trend for so long, but we think there's more to come there. And generative AI is also, you know, you need to be in the cloud for the most part to take advantage of generative AI. So that's really gonna pull even more workloads to the cloud. 5G is a bit different because we've had the rollout of capacity and now you need the killer app to densify the capacity. And there's the hope maybe generative AI could be that killer app. Yeah, and what I would add I, is exactly that. Like 5G has been a mega theme for the last, call it six or seven years. We're plateauing out, you know, we're you're 50% penetrated globally or something, you know, roughly. And now it's just that incremental transition to 5G. So in some ways, the whole telecom spectrum thing's pretty uninteresting right now. And it won't be till we get closer to 2030 when we start talking about 6G, where that's where we're going to have some real significant fundamental change because of the improvements in speed and near zero latency, which is gonna enable a lot of yep. these amazing at the edge use cases associated with AR, VR, autonomous driving. I mean, I, I, I was just in, in Scottsdale at a conference and love taking the autonomous Waymos around. I mean, it was, it was great, <laughs> it was such a good experience and we still have a long way to go, but for that constrained use case, it's pretty amazing, but we're gonna need 6G networks to be able to do it. Well, I'm glad to hear it was a good experience. Uh, I, I think you have to be a little brave to get into one of those <laughs> cars at this point. But Jenny and John, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate getting your insights on tech for 2024. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. The views presented are as of the date published. They are for information purposes only and should not be used or construed as investment, legal or tax advice or as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to buy, sell or hold any security, investment strategy or market sector. Nothing in this material shall be deemed to be a direct or indirect provision of investment management services specific to any planned requirements. Opinions and examples are meant as an illustration of broader themes, but not an indication of trading intent, are subject to change and may not reflect the views of others in the organization. It is not intended to indicate or imply that any illustration or example mentioned is now or was ever held in any portfolio. No forecasts can be guaranteed and there is no guarantee that the information supplied is complete or timely, nor are there any warranties with regard to the results obtained from its use. Janice Henderson Investors is a source of data unless otherwise indicated, and has reasonable belief to rely on information and data sourced from third parties. Past performance does not predict future returns. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal and fluctuation of value. Not all products or services are available in all jurisdictions. This material or information contained in it may be restricted by law, may not be reproduced or referred to without express written permission or used in any jurisdiction or circumstance in which its use would be unlawful. Janice Henderson is not responsible for any unlawful distribution of this material to any third parties, in whole or in part. The contents of this material have not been approved or endorsed by any regulatory agency. Janice Henderson Investors is the name under which investment products and services are provided by the entities identified in the following jurisdictions, a. Europe by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, registration number 3594615, Janice Henderson Investors UK Limited, 
Registration number 906355, Janice Henderson Fund Management UK Limited. Registration number 2678531, Henderson Equity Partners Limited. Registration number 2606646, each registered in England and Wales at 201 Bishopgate, London EC2M3AE and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, and Janice Henderson Investors Europe SA. Registration number B22848, at 2 Rue de Bitburg, L1273, Luxembourg and regulated by the Commission de Surveillance du Secteur Financier. B, the US by SEC registered investment advisors that are subsidiaries of Janice Henderson Group PLC. C, Canada through Janice Henderson Investors US LLC only to institutional investors in certain jurisdictions. D, Singapore by Janice Henderson Investors, Singapore, Limited, company registration number 199700782N. This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by Monetary Authority of Singapore. E, Hong Kong by Janice Henderson Investors, Hong Kong Limited. This material has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. F. South Korea by Janice Henderson Investors, Singapore, limited only to qualified professional investors, is defined in the Financial Investment Services and Capital Market Act and its sub-regulations. G. Japan by Janice Henderson Investors, Japan, limited, regulated by Financial Services Agency and registered as a financial instruments firm conducting investment management business, investment advisory and agency business and type 2 financial instrument business. H. Australia and New Zealand by Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, limited, ABN 47124279518, and its related bodies corporate including Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Institutional Funds Management Limited, ABN 16165119531, AFSL 444266, and Janice Henderson Investors, Australia, Funds Management Limited, ABN 43164177244, AFSL 444268, I, the Middle East by Janice Henderson Investors International Limited, regulated by the Dubai Financial Services Authority as a representative office. This material relates to a financial product which is not subject to any form of regulation or approval by the Dubai Financial Services Authority, DFSA. The DFSA has no responsibility for reviewing or verifying any prospectus or other documents in connection with this financial product. Accordingly, the DFSA has not approved this material or any other associated materials nor taken any steps to verify the information set out in this material, and has no responsibility for it. The financial product to which this material relates may be illiquid and or subject to restrictions and at resale. Prospective purchasers should conduct their own due diligence on the financial product. If you do not understand the contents of this material you should consult an authorized financial advisor. No transactions will be concluded in the Middle East and any inquiries should be made to Janice Henderson. We may record telephone calls for our mutual protection, to improve customer service and for regulatory record-keeping purposes. Outside of the US, Australia, Singapore, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Europe, and UK, for use only by institutional, professional, qualified and sophisticated investors, qualified distributors, wholesale investors and wholesale clients is defined by the applicable jurisdiction. Not for public viewing or distribution. Marketing communication. Janice Henderson is a trademark of Janice Henderson Group PLC or one of its subsidiaries. Copyright Janice Henderson Group PLC. The discount rate is the interest rate used to determine the present value of future cash flows in a discounted cash flow analysis. S&P 500 index reflects U.S. large cap equity performance and represents broad U.S. equity market performance. Free cash flow, FCF, yield is a financial ratio that measures how much cash flow a company has in case of its liquidation or other obligations by comparing the free cash flow per share with the market price per share and indicates the level of cash flow the company will earn against its share market value. Technology industries can be significantly affected by obsolescence of existing technology, short product cycles, falling prices and profits, competition from new market entrants, and general economic conditions. A concentrated investment in a single industry could be more volatile than the performance of less concentrated investments and the market as a whole. C0124-53999-123024TL.